We are in the book of Judges, chapter 2, if you'd like to turn to Judges, chapter 2, or thumb to it if you're using a smartphone, or I know some of you are. So we've, we've seen in God's story that He creates the heavens and earth and creates man in His image to glorify God and have relationship with God. A man goes his own way and falls into sin and God puts a curse over creation. But He institutes a plan to reconcile mankind to Himself. And part of that plan is to make a covenant with Abraham and from Abraham a great nation And he's made this nation now, the nation Israel. And he's brought them to the promised land. And at first they didn't want to enter. And so God rebuked and corrected his people by having them live in the wilderness for 40 years. But he used that 40 years to purify his people. And to prepare the next generation to enter the land. And... In Joshua, we saw them enter the land and miraculously, with God's mighty arm, clear the land of pagan idolatry. And so now the book of Judges begins with Joshua ready to fade out and how will the next generation respond? Well, judging by the title of the sermon, it kind of giving things away here. They don't do so well. And it's only this third, the third generation, Joshua being the first generation, the second generation. Remember, Joshua's generation was told, you will not be able to enter the land. Only Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who faithfully wanted to go into the land, were allowed to enter the land. So generation number two got to go into the land. And now they're about to all... Uh, die and the third generation, how will they do in the land? And they don't do so well. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was reminded of that old Bruce Wilkerson study, the three chairs. Raise your hand if you remember the three, the three chairs study. Okay, there's not that many hands up, and. Um, I know this church uh, presented that teaching. Uh, Doug Cowan really liked the Three Chairs series. Um, So we have a new generation here now. People don't know about the Three Chairs. You can go on YouTube because um, the original Three Chairs is on VHS. And I don't even know if anyone owns a VCR anymore. But you can go on YouTube and uh, just YouTube the Three Chairs and either Goldilocks will come up or Bruce Wilkerson. And um, 2010, he gave a convocation at Liberty University. And he, he did his three chairs talk to that generation of young people. And he pulls out three folding chairs. And, you know, I have my two buckets. He's got his three folding chairs. So I'll reference the three chairs uh, today. And I, I want to, uh, you know... Hat tip, Bruce Wilkerson. I don't want to plagiarize his work. But uh, go and watch that video. I think you'll be blessed by it and get a fuller description of what we're talking about today. In Judges uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it reads, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. So Joshua, generation 1, All the elders who survived Joshua, generation 2, who had seen all the great work of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now let's think about this. Joshua got to see Egypt, parting of the Red Sea. He was Moses' protege. He went up on the mountain with Moses. He saw the golden calf. He saw the miracles in the desert. He saw the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. The second generation, they, they saw some of those things, but not as much as Joshua had seen. But they did see God part the Jordan River and the walls of Jericho fall. 
So the second generation knows God and a little bit less than Joshua did. In a little bit less of a personal way. But they did see God's power in clearing out the land and making good on His promises there. So now they're working on their third generation. And the third generation will be those who only know what it's like to live in the land. Only knows what it's like to live in the land. Then Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So that's the second generation. Now they've all died. And there arose another generation. So we're on the third chair now. After them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. So they don't have that personal relationship yet with God. And they haven't seen firsthand God's miracles. In fact, all they really know is the land of flowing with milk and honey. They know prosperity. They know relative peace. They know the good life. They've heard some stories about how God got us here. They... They partake in religious ritual with their parents, but they're not really quite sure exactly what it all represents and what it means. Some of our young people today partook of the Lord's Supper, and I know they, they've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they know a little bit about the Bible. But how much do they really know? You know, as parents, you're like, I wonder what's really going through their head right now as they take the Lord's Supper, or you're your child gets baptized and you're like, I know they know the gospel, but do they really know the Lord and really understand that they're a sinner and what that means and what it took God to to save them? And so, only time will tell, right, with our kids. We cherish their profession of faith and we encourage their faith, but only time will, will tell. If we think of Joshua as chair one and the elders as chair two, we'll talk about this third generation as chair number three. And we're going to call chair number three the lost generation. Why do we call them that? We'll look here. Judges 2.11. Then the sons of Israel, this is chair number three, generation three, did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Hard to say that with the two A's there. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Notice it says brought them out of the land of Egypt. But personally, this third generation, God didn't bring them out of the land of Egypt. He brought their forefathers out of the land of Egypt. But if he hadn't, this third generation would have grown up under slavery in Egypt. So they're experiencing the blessings of God, the hard work that God accomplished, the rewards of their parents' obedience. They're living off the vapor trail, so to speak. They're, they're hanging onto the coattails of their parents' faith. And all they know is the land flowing with milk and honey. Just like all your kids know is high-speed internet and smartphones. They don't know how we used to have to, like, wait to talk to people. Unless you were near a payphone and you had a dime. I am that old. I, re- I remember payphones. You couldn't talk to people right now. You had to wait and you had to be patient. And you had a dialogue with people. And if people wanted to hear your opinion on things, you needed to find somebody who would listen to you. You couldn't just go on the internet and blab your mouth to the world, expecting everyone to drop what they're doing and read your opinions and like or dislike them. 
But it's all they know. Unless somehow we figure out how to intentionally give the next generation an experience that would draw them close to God and be dependent on God and cultivate godly virtue. It does us no good to just get disappointed with them and say, how could you be on your phone all day? Well, you gave it to them. What did you think would happen? So this generation, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger, so they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. Baal was a fertility god. His, his father was El. And there's places in the Old Testament where God takes the name of El as his own, as if to say, yeah, I know there's a lot of these Els, but I am the L. But his covenant name is Yahweh, right? Yahweh. And when we see Lord in all caps, that's, that's Yahweh. And Baal thought his father was weak and eventually killed his father and usurped his role as the chief god. Talk about the doctrine of demons. And, and the true God sends his son and the son loves his father. And what did Jesus say? To do the will of my Father, that is my meat and my drink. The Son does nothing except for what the Father has commanded Him to do. This false God, the Son, kills the Father and takes His role. In our faith, the Son humbles Himself and gives His life to ransom God's people. Ashtaroth was Baal's sister. She's also a fertility god goddess. And in order to appease these gods, they wanted human sacrifice. They wanted temple prostitution, sexual immorality. This was how they wanted to be worshipped. Now, they're not real gods. There's demons behind them. Demons are real, but the gods themselves aren't real. And we know in our own country that, no, we may not have the Baals and the Ashtaroths, but we have secular humanism. And that God will let you determine how it wants to be worshipped. And you can live your life any way you want and convince yourself you're making your God happy. Because in the end, you are your God. And you're determining what will bring you your own happiness. Even if the true God has clearly revealed that the very thing you think will bring you happiness will bring you misery and destruction. And so just as Joshua told his generation, choose this day whom you will serve, it's the same message today. Choose this day whom you will serve. The true God or Baal? And in this case, Baal is yourself. Will you worship God or will you worship self? We live in a culture that has been teaching our children for a few generations now to worship self, to pursue self-esteem, to pursue your own interests, to look out for number one, for make a name for yourself in the world. The self-help section at Barnes & Noble is twice as big as any other section. The history section is very small because who cares about what happened to other people? They're dead and gone. And besides, we'll just rewrite history anyways to justify our behavior now. Listen to the way a first chair believer talks. This is Joshua, back in Joshua twenty four fourteen. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him. Fear the Lord. We've talked about that. Fear Him, reverence Him, respect Him, worship Him, honor Him, love Him. 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't live a wise, discerning life unless you first fear the Lord. Otherwise, you won't listen to Him. And He is the source of wisdom. He knows how we should live. He made everything. He created everything. He set up the whole system. He knows how to live a successful life. Fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Look, everybody serves somebody. That's, oh, I'm not going to serve anybody. Well, then you're serving yourself. Remember, Paul says you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, but everybody's a slave. We're all slaves to our desires. The difference is, do we desire God or do we desire the world? So who will you serve? Who, to whom will you be a slave? I know that word's not popular in modern culture, but we're all slaves. Whom will you serve? Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, so there were false gods on that side of the Jordan, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. There's gods on, false gods on this side of the river too. We've talked about that with the, with the buckets. There's nowhere to run and hide. There's false gods in Tehachapi. They're everywhere. So choose whom you will serve. Someone's thinking, I'll build a houseboat and live on the river. <laughs> That's not going to work. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That just sends chills up your spine. You love it. Half of you have it on a plaque in your house, over the dining room table, or over the mantle. And yet, if you are a first chair Christian, you realize that putting up the plaque is easier to do than living. And that doesn't make you a weak Christian. That makes you a strong Christian. You understand the struggle Nobody said serving the Lord was going to be easy. The flesh wants to be served too. But we affirm, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're choosing this day, and every day we have to make that choice. And really, hour by hour, minute by minute, you have to make that choice. And with whatever influence God has given us over the next generation, we can say, for me and my house. But you, you can't make your children choose, can you? No, you, you can't make them choose. You can make them go to church. You can bribe them or you could threaten punishment. Better, though, to live a life so compelling that they would want to know your Lord for themselves. Wilkerson says, first-chair Christians can make second-chair Christians. But second-chair Christians must choose to become first-chair Christians. First-chair Christians can make second-chair Christians. You can pass on your faith and your kids can say, yes, I'm a Christian, I do I was baptized, I do Lord's Supper, I go to church, but you can't make them on fire for God like you are. That is something they will have to choose for themselves. But if you live like a second-chair Christian, thinking you're a first-chair Christian, you can only pass on third-chair Christian Christianity to your children. They won't know what first-chair Christianity looks like. Your second-chair Christianity, your lukewarm Christianity, your going-through-the-motions Christianity will be the norm for them. And they will live a slightly more watered-down version of your Christianity thinking, close enough. Or they will say, 
What's the point? What's the point? I could get an extra day off if I stop going to church and extra dollars in my wallet if I don't have to give and tithe. And so something like this happened to the Israelites. They, they became these third chair believers, which aren't believers at all. Which aren't believers at all. Let's look at the, the second chair a little more closely. Judges 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord, we think that's Jesus Christ before he took on human flesh. When we see the angel of the Lord in Scripture, theologians believe that's the pre-incarnate Christ. So Jesus himself in the form of an angel comes came up from Gilgal to Bochim, which means weeping. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. Again, notice how God is saying, I brought you out of Egypt. And this generation saying, not us. Yes, you. Yes, you. Young people... Are you listening? This wonderful life you're experiencing at home didn't come out of nowhere. There is no promise. The American dream is, isn't true. All blessing comes from God. If you're living a blessed life in your parents' house, it is because of their faith in the true God. You don't deserve a cell phone. You don't deserve a smartphone. You don't deserve a great job that pays well. You don't deserve vacations. You don't deserve Disneyland. You don't deserve designer clothing. Until you come to the place in your life where you realize all you deserve is hell and you get Jesus Christ and grace and love and forgiveness, then you are sitting in that third chair. I brought you up out of Egypt, and I led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but you shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Where's the last time we heard that in the Bible? Cain. What is this that you have done? Adam, what is this that you have done? Israel, what is this that you have done? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you. I warned you, if you turn to idolatry... I will cease to drive the people out of the land, and they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. I'm, I'm learning to take responsibility for where my generation has dropped the ball, but I look to an earlier generation and I cry out to the Lord, Where were you? Where were you when... They removed God from school. Why didn't everything just stop and shut down and say, no, nobody's going to work today? Where were you when Roe v. Wade was passed? Why didn't the nation just stop? We were still overtly Christian then. Just in our convention alone, they say there are so many Southern Baptist teachers that if all the Southern Baptist teachers decided we're not going into work tomorrow until some things change, the entire school system and economy would shut down. Where are the parents going to send their kids for the day? All the two-parent families. But I don't want to get fired. I don't want to lose my paycheck. I understand It's, it's just this much. 
But we still have all of this as Christians. They're just taking this much. And they're just taking this much. And before you know it, it's not that they're taking stuff, but now you're compromising. And you say, well, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe that's not so bad. That's how you get to the third generation turning to the Baals and the Ashtaroths, turning to secular humanism. Wilkerson says in that video to the students at Liberty, first chair Christians go to a college like this and say, I want to major in something that will prepare me to impact the world for Christ. Second chair Christians go to college and say, which major will give me the job that pays the most amount of money? And then when I've got some money and I can set up my own little kingdom, I will impact the world for Christ. And then they raise third chair Christians that go to liberty, maybe, if they'll give me a nice fat scholarship and I will bless them with my presence on your campus. Because I've been told my whole life, I'm a great kid. Anybody would want me at their school. I've got great scores and, and great grades. And I'll look good on the cover of your, of your uh, advertisements. And they just ask, how can I make a lot of money? I don't, I don't know much about Liberty University. I, I hope it's a strong uh, witness for Christ. I do know, though, that on the site of the YouTube, you know, they say, if you watch this video, you may want to watch this one, too. So I clicked on Donald Trump giving the convocation at Liberty University in 2012. And not one Christian thing came out of his mouth, and those kids were just in awe and cheering and he gave a whole speech on how to be successful and how to step over the competition and how to win. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just saying <laughs> I didn't hear a single Christian thing come out of the man's mouth at a Christian university. And they brought him in to inspire these kids to live for Christ. So, that's what Bruce Wilkerson was trying to do. Third chair Christians just get comfortable with the surrounding culture because second chair Christians help them become comfortable with the surrounding culture. Again, we're not saying so protect your kids from the culture that they don't even know how to interact with the culture and win the culture for Christ. But what we are saying is you have to intentionally, intentionally train up your children in the way they should go. Bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Live out Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Talk about God all day long. Help your kids to perceive the world as God perceives the world. Tell the meta-narrative. Tell the big story and help them find their story as rooted and grounded in Scripture. And when they're ready to leave the nest, you say, Choose this day whom you will serve. And hopefully you've given them a picture of what that might look like in their life. You've honestly told them, here's where I fail, but here's where God has forgiven me. And each day is a battle. But God has already won the war when He died on the cross for me. The third chair. Judges 2.13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. God would let His children be plundered, yes, for our own good. What if we turned our backs on God and nothing changed here? We continue to have our lives of prosperity and we had a false peace. And like the prophets of old, the, the false prophets, everything's good, everything's good. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them. Get this, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Everyone's talking about we're at this crisis point in our our nation, and I believe it's true, but not maybe in the way that everyone else is talking about. Our soul is at stake as a nation. And either we turn now or it's going to be to the point where you can't stand any longer before your enemies because you don't even know who the enemy is anymore. This, this video finally came out, and, and the, the Planned Parenthood videos have been getting worse and worse. And we knew what was coming to the point where a live baby was on the table, and they said, keep the heart beating so the brain tissue doesn't die. We'll get more money for live brain tissue. If you can't look at a, a live baby in front of you and realize what you're about to do is evil, we have lost our way. Why hasn't... Anything stopped. Why is Congress still arguing about whether or not we can defund Planned Parenthood? They're not even a government agency. Yes, the government has to fund government agencies. It's not a government agency. It's a a private agency. They don't have to fund it. Are we getting to a place in our culture where we don't even know who the enemy is anymore. We don't understand that secular humanism is the enemy. We don't understand that the enemy is also within. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, He warned them this is what would happen so that they were severely distressed. That's an understatement, right? Severely Distressed. Anyone feeling severely distressed in our culture? Uh, pluralism and multiculturalism is exactly what happened to Israel. They just didn't call it pluralism and multiculturalism. Do we have to clear everyone out of the land? I mean, some of these people are, are okay. I mean, they'll go worship their false gods in the high places and we'll leave them alone and it'll be fine. I mean, who would fall for that? You know, our culture is really no better than theirs. Who are we to judge? Well, when you adopt secular humanism, you have no leg to stand on. You're right, we can't judge our culture versus another culture and say this culture is superior. But in as much as we serve the true God and base our principles on this word, we can compare one culture to another. No, I agree with the multiculturalists. America can't brag that they're a better culture anymore. But that's because your policies and your ideas made it so that we can't. And if we would get back to worshiping the true God and obeying His Word, we can say with humility, yes, this is the right way. This is the way. And not be ashamed to say that. And we said that for years as a country, and it didn't stop people from coming here who didn't believe that. But they saw the blessing And they came at great personal risk here for freedom. They may not have known what was at the basis of that freedom, but we we should have known, of all people, that it was our faith in the true God and the gospel that is the foundation for all freedom. Yes, I look at Europe, I look at Germany as someone who's a quarter German, and you think... I love Martin Luther. I love the Reformation. 
and there will be no, no Germany as we know it in another generation. There, there's really no Christian testimony there. A generation who lived off the fat of the land. Amazingly robust economy, Germany. So robust that they really dictate for the rest of the European Union what's going to happen financially. Should we bail out Greece or not? Ask Germany. They're the one who's going to give the money. They make great cars, right? (laughs) And yet... The Germans wanted personal peace and affluence. Just leave us alone. Let us be happy with our wealth. And they stopped having children. Why would you want to have children? They're expensive. They're messy. They're time-consuming. Germany has no children. There's no next generation. Their entire cities are disappearing. Entire sewage systems won't run anymore because if you don't flush enough toilets, then the sewage system backs up. And so this horde of Muslims are at their borders. Some legitimate refugees, most that I'm seeing on TV, don't really look like refugees to me. They look fit and healthy and young and ready to plunder without firing a single shot. And I'm hearing the Germans saying, yes, finally, people. We'll have children in our schools and there will be People in the pubs again. I'm like, hello, they don't drink. They're Muslim. The pubs are not going to stay open. (laughs) They're going to shut them down right away. And school's not going to be what you think it is. And everything you hold dear in your secular humanism will disappear. And praise God for that. The idolatry will leave, but it'll just be replaced with a different form of idolatry. So you, like me, were wondering, will our nation put up a fight or will we just lay down and let secular humanism have its way? Is God still there? Is he answering our prayers or has he abandoned us? God will not abandon his children. I'm not saying that America is Israel. We did not replace Israel. The church hasn't replaced Israel. But God will not abandon true believers. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. God will raise up a George Whitfield, a Charles Spurgeon, a Billy Graham. He's not silent. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. We'll see as we go through the book of Judges in the next few Sundays, this is the pattern. They'd cry out in repentance and God would raise up a judge and the judge would deliver them and they'd have temporary peace and some through that process would repent and put their faith in God. But then slowly they would backslide and God would raise up another judge But each time, the judges get less and less impressive. And the repentance is less and less um, heartfelt and true in this downward cycle. And I think we would agree that's what we see in our country. We'll see some revival and repentance. Politics will move a little more conservative. And then we'll go way down to the left. And people go, what a mess this is. And we'll move back. But we never move all the way back, right? Then it's here. And then it's here. 
and then it's here. And Christians seem to do the only compromising. The other side doesn't compromise. Because they believe in their God. Whatever that God is, humanism, socialism, Marxism, whatever, ism. By the way, capitalism is not our God. It's not our God. Our God is Jehovah. He's Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's not an ism. By the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, it says everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it was complete chaos. I think we're getting close, folks, to everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so God raised up a king, and they wanted a king. But they didn't want God as their king. They had God as their king, and so they took Saul, who was like the world's kings. feels to me, and now I'm just giving my opinion, that our country is looking for some kind of king. Forget Congress, forget Senate, forget the way it's supposed to work. Just give someone the power to make everything right. Even if he says he's on our team, folks, we don't, we don't want that. We don't want that. We want a King David, not a King Saul. We want a man after God's own heart. So, I've heard from many of you that you feel distressed, worried about the next generation. I'm worried too. I have four in the next generation of my own. But I'm not worried to the point of anxiety and panic. God wins. And in many ways, I'm excited for the next generation because choose this day will be clear. You won't be able to hide and pretend you're Christian. There, there won't be room for second chair Christians. You'll either be first chair or you won't be Christian. No one's going to pretend to be Christian when there's persecution and great cost. And by the way, God hasn't failed. So I thought his plan, though, was to raise up this great nation that would go into the land and serve God and be pure and be this light to the whole world. Yes, that was part of the plan. But part of God's glory is to demonstrate to the world all of his attributes. God's going to display his faithfulness through Israel's disobedience. How else can you show people you're faithful They have to not keep their part of the covenant so you can keep your part. You need the contrast. God will display His justice. He will punish Israel for their disobedience. He's a God of justice, but He's also a God of mercy. If there's no justice, He can't display His mercy. He will display His mercy through Israel's disobedience. He will display His wrath. He will display His love. It's just amazing to me that Israel is still here today. God's faithfulness on display through the centuries. Against all odds, there is no human explanation for Israel's existence. And we're like their last friend and. Powers that be in this country don't even want to be friends with Israel anymore. But I don't fear for Israel. God will not abandon Israel. In fact, the bleaker things look, the more mighty God will demonstrate himself. So, some ask, well, I wish God would just start over in America. I just don't know how that's going to happen. 
And we see that with Israel, if anyone was going to launch successfully as a nation that kept itself pure in its worship of God, it's Israel. Forty years in the wilderness, cleaning out all the paganism, cleaning out all the idolatry, living according to God's word, no pluralism, no temptation to follow other gods. Then we go into the land and clear out the land. If, if anybody had the kind of start, you would think, now, see, if, if we could do that, then everything would be okay. No. No. In fact, God has given this as an example for us to realize that's not how it will work. Well, if somehow we could just get rid of all the unbelievers in our country, and how are you going to do that? We'll just deport everybody. How are you going to do that? We're supposed to be reaching the nations with the gospel, so I guess if God's bringing the nations to us, what should we be doing? Not lamenting over the fact that all the nations are crowding us out of our prosperous American way of life. Time to stop hand rigging. It's time to start saying, We will live as first chair Christians. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we will demonstrate to these unbelievers and these pagans what true peace and happiness and joy looks like. And I'll thank God that I don't have to go overseas to be a missionary. I can be a missionary right here. I can be a missionary to my own kids. I can be a missionary to the people in this church. I can be a missionary to the people in my community. And there's really nowhere left to move to. So Tehachapi's it here. I guess you could go higher up the mountain. But you're going to run out of elevation eventually. So don't live in fear. Don't wring your hands. Don't be paralyzed with panic and anxiety. Our kids will be fine as long as they keep their eyes on God and walk in His ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He said, Because this nation has transgressed My covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to My voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Beloved, God is going to allow secular humanism and false religions to proliferate in our country, I believe, to test us. The lazy part of me doesn't like taking tests. I just like going to class and listening to the lecture and not ever having to write a paper or take a test. But, when you take the test and you pass the test, don't you feel empowered? I really know this. I want to pass the test. I want to know my faith is pure and true. I want to know that I'm not just going through the motions. It's easy, it's easy to talk like a Christian, even from the pulpit. Well, will I live it? Will my children live it? Will my children's children live it if the Lord tarries? Don't be afraid. These are exciting times. Exciting times. There will be no room for boring Christianity, which is really an uh, oxymoron. If you're living boring Christianity, you're not living Christianity. Amen? Amen? Amen. Sound asleep. Are you bored? Are you ready to take the test? Are you ready to study hard and roll up your sleeves? If you're not a first-chair Christian, you can become a first-chair Christian. If you're a third-chair Christian, Christian, which isn't really Christian, you can become 
a first chair Christian. You can become that Joshua in your home. You don't have to lament, I didn't know, I didn't have a good example. You can become that good example for the next generation. If you are a second chair Christian and now you have wayward children, you don't have to wring your hands and lament. Become a first chair Christian and continue to pray for them. God's not finished yet. How do you become a first chair Christian? You've got to cultivate, first and foremost, a profound understanding of your salvation. Like if your testimony is, well, I grew up in the church and when I was six, I heard the gospel at VBS and I accepted the Lord as Savior, I don't doubt that you were converted that day. But if your testimony stops there, I mean, your testimony to me sounds like, well, there's other people who really mess up. And I understand the gospel in their life, but in my life it was like I was pretty close. And I know, I know the right thing to say is I was this horrible sinner, but you know I was a pretty good kid. But I know that's not the right Sunday school answer. I say to you, you don't understand sin, and you don't understand the holiness of God. And if you need help cultivating that, look to the cross. Because if you weren't really that bad, then God sending His Son to die for you is a bit overkill, don't you think? You just needed a little spiritual Botox. No, you were dead in trespasses and sin. You were an enemy of God, even as that little six-year-old. You were rebellious, you wanted your own way. And the only reason... All hell didn't break loose in your life is because you had Christian parents and you were afraid to disappoint them. You were afraid to cross the line. But you were just waiting for your first opportunity to go exercise your freedom. And so look at the cross. If God had to die for our sins, the highest price paid must correlate to the worst imaginable problem. The most extreme solution must correlate to the most extreme problem. We were in deep, deep, deep trouble with no way out ourselves. You've, you say, well, I don't have any of those great stories of God's miracle in my life. If you know Jesus Christ, that is a miracle in your life. Tell the story. Tell it to the second generation. Secondly, cultivate a profound understanding of the sanctification process. Look, the journey didn't stop with your salvation. It continues in your sanctification. You need Jesus Christ every single day to fight against residual flesh. As a Christian, you have a new goal to be like Jesus. How are you going to be like Jesus on your own? How are you going to accomplish that without God showing up? If you don't need God to show up in your life every day, you are living a small, tiny life. If you don't have goals for yourself each day that require God's miraculous intervention for the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to live like Jesus today. You are not doing that on your own. When I see things come out of my life and come out of my mouth that can only be attributed to God, because I'm like, I know me, that's not me. I know what I wanted to say. In fact, I was thinking it. I know what I wanted to do, and somehow this time, I didn't. And this came out of me instead. Where did that come from? I love what my wife says to me. Where did that come from? When did God do that in your life? I mean, she knows me before Christ. It's shocking. That's not my husband. That's Christ living in him. That is the life we need to show the next generation. That's a compelling testimony. 
Be transparent and intentional about your struggles to know Jesus and walk with Him more closely each day. If you want to live as a first-chair Christian, it ain't going to be easy. Your flesh is going to battle against you. Satan will battle against you. He doesn't want you living in the first chair. Satan is quite okay with you sitting in the second chair. Right? He's got the long-term view in mind. Okay, this generation lives for Christ. Fine, I'll take the next generation. All it takes is one generation to turn their back on God. And that will send a ripple effect generation after... Because if there's no one living for God, who's going to teach the next generation? My, my wife spoke Friday to the women's ministry. I didn't get to hear what she said, but what I'm hearing from people is, thank you for your transparency. I'm like, oh, great, she aired out our laundry. <laughs> but that's okay. That is good. I'm glad she does that. I, I share too. Someone who came in for some, some counseling uh, told Jennifer, boy, he sure talked about his problems a lot. We thought we were going to talk about ours. <laughs> I, well, first I want him to know, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's no temptation that's not common to man. But God is faithful and He will supply the way of escape. Amen? Practice Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 in your house. God's commandments to be on your heart. You talk about them all day long as you rise up, as you lay down, as you go out, as you come in. You're helping your children define life through the lens of Scripture all day long. I'll just protect my kids from the culture. You can't completely protect them, but you can inoculate them. Go ahead, watch TV with them. Be careful about what you watch, though. But watch TV and... We do the Netflix thing, and you hit pause. Hey, let's talk about what we just heard there. You know, at first, it's going to be clunky and awkward. They're going to be like, who hit pause? (laughs) Especially the stuff that sounds good on TV, but you're like, I know that sounds good. That is not biblical, though. The stuff that's obviously wrong, you shouldn't be watching it. But the stuff that's kind of like, okay, it's not so bad. That's the dangerous stuff. Hit pause. What does God have to say about this? What does His Word have to say about this? It sounds like God, but it's not God. It's a false God. And after a while, your kids will kind of get used to it. They may roll their eyes and oh, Dad's hitting pause again. Can't we just watch a movie like normal people? (laughs) But I'm telling you, I have heard my kids now on their own critique a movie. And I'm like, yes. I've ruined them. (laughs) They can't just go to the movies anymore and shut their brain off. It's a good thing. Finally, serve others and be great commission-minded. If we are to live like Christ and be first-chair Christians, and if we are going to serve the Lord, then you can't serve self and you can't serve money. You can't. You cannot have two masters. Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. It can't be all about prosperity. We can't be all worried about our kids getting, getting a good education so they can get a good job so they can make lots of money and buy stuff and be happy. Wait a minute. We don't really believe that, do we? But it seems to be many Christians, that's what they're teaching their kids. Work real hard in school so you can get into a good college, so you can get a good career, so you can make money and be happy. And maybe put some in the plate when it goes by. It's okay if your kids are financially poor. I'd rather them be spiritually rich and financially poor. I'd rather be rich in heaven than and poor on earth than rich on earth and poor in heaven. Jesus Christ came to serve, not to be served, and give his life as a ransom for many. You ought to live the kind of life a first-year Christian is so consumed with the things of God that these other things we said that creep into your life, you just don't have time for them. That's, that's how you do it. You just choke it out. I don't have time. 
for frivolous pursuits. Am I there yet? No. But my kids know we are working towards that as the goal. And I get tired and I let down my guard, start watching too much TV, not reading enough of the scriptures. But after a while, I just, bleh. When you've had filet mignon eating McDonald's, you just can't <laughs> turn off the TV. That's probably the thing I yell the most. Turn off the TV! Turn off the TV! Can't stand the TV on. So, you help me become a first-year Christian. I'll help you become a first-year Christian. We have a deal? Let's say together, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, okay? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right. And we're not just going to hang a plaque above the table. We're going to hang that plaque on our heart. And we're going to mean it. Let's pray. Father God, that is our heart's cry. We want to be first-share Christians. We want to live a compelling life devoted to you in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation so that as many as you have called will hear the gospel and see the light and want the joy of knowing you, knowing their sins are forgiven, and knowing they have so much better waiting for them in eternity than anything this world has to offer now. Make that happen for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.